From outside the charred remains of a 3D technology warehouse, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So take off your thinking caps and please welcome two suspected arsonists, Mark Kaiser and Wade Major. Wow, another one that inverts our names. Who did that, Corey? Who's so bold? That was brought to you by Ashley Fakaba. Who put Mark first. Oh, yeah. You'll get your $5 in the mail. <laughs> uh, there won't be any $5 coming. Um, Mark. Yes, sir. Oh, my gosh. I have you modulated. No, it's okay. You were just chewing, and you, you gave it the full... Well, you know, you know what it is? I, I mean, here's a funny thing. I'm eating leftover pizza that's yeah. actually not mine. Oh, okay. I had dinner with a couple friends. Right. They came back to my place. They had two pieces of leftover pizza. Yeah. That they forgot to take. Now, at that point, do you think to yourself, I'll call them? No. And I'll see if they want no, their two pieces of pizza really. back. Not really. I don't see them all that often. They're nice people. I like them. I don't see them all that often. Do I really want to put it out there that, hey, man, you left your two tiny pieces of pizza? <gasps> <laughs> I figure. Oh, my God. We've, so we've got, we've got, uh, we've got, let me, let me, let me, let me see. we've got Voxbox today. Oh. We uh, we got a couple of oh, listener mail things that we're going to... this is the greatest gonna... <laughs> day of my life. You're giving this to me, aren't you? Uh, you not, not a fat chance. Oh. Uh, the um, uh, Mark is fawning over what oh. I just decided I was going to cut him off uh, by showing him this week's oh. major, major, major release. Uh, this is a big deal. And in addition to this week's major release, we also have an announcement of another major release forthcoming, which uh, literally happened just today. But um, I love you, major release. Y you know what? Actually, before we get into the major release of the week, let's just uh, talk about the, um, the big deal that was announced today, in fact. Uh, we've all known that it was coming, but finally they have confirmed that Lawrence of Arabia is, in fact, due in November, second week in November, and it's going to be uh, going out on the road again in October. So October is going to be a, a formal 4K digital release of Lawrence of Arabia. And then in November, we actually get the uh, 50th anniversary uh, Blu-ray. So thank goodness, long Couldn't overdue. Care less. Couldn't care less. You know why, Wade? Because uh, of what's sitting in front of you. That's right. But I also want to say, you know, Robert Morris, listener of ours in D.C., um, back in March, he emailed me that uh, he had a little inside track on Lawrence of Arabia coming out around about October time frame, and uh, he emailed us today and said, yep, saw it's coming out in November. My source was right, and what I emailed you in March still holds true. Um, you're probably the only person that's more excited than I am. I, you know what? I'm pretty excited, but I think we're all equally excited. So um, definitely a big shout-out to Robert Morris there for, for calling that one back in March. He, uh, he was ahead of the curve. Nobody else was on top of that, but he was. He sure was. So um, anyway, Mark, uh, 50th anniversary, Lawrence of Arabia, announced today, big deal, but we're going to be talking today about a 60th anniversary release that you have in front of you right now. Tell everybody what it is. Singing in the Rain. Oh, yeah. One of the all-time greats. Which comes in one of those big, big gnarly boxes, uh, kind of like Willy Wonka and, you know, uh, Ben-Hur. It's, it's, the, it's the, the official giant impossible-to-put-on-the-shelf box that they say for all big deal Blu-ray releases. Here's what this has on it. Yeah. It, it, now, this by, a, by the oh, way, yes. I'm going to tell you, I, I already watched this, all the, everything all the way through with the family and then watched the artist 
in a double feature with it, with the family. I'm going to share that whole experience. I mean, we made a big deal out of this. This was not like sit down, go through the extras, check out the video. This wasn't the usual like, uh, you know, this was like sit down and actually soak this thing in. It's not work. It's pleasure. That's, that's, this, that's a rare in this job, i got to tell you. With what we cover, that's, it's rare that it becomes something pleasurable. But I said, you know what? I'm going to give this all the attention that it is absolutely due. This is a 4K scan. This is full 1080p remaster yep. from a 4K scan. Yes, indeed. Three discs. Got a commentary with Stanley Donnan, Debbie Reynolds, a bunch of others, Sid Charisse, Baz Luhrmann. That's an older commentary. An older commentary. Because Sid is, is, is has been gone for a number of years. New documentary. A couple of other documentaries. Yeah. A jump to song feature, which is whatever. Yeah. Uh, a musical number outtake. Which is a big deal. It is a big deal. Now, there's also, uh, if you get the, now, of course, you don't have to get this box version. Uh, Wade got one for himself, selfishly, <laughs> and didn't get one for me. <laughs> they don't give us two of everything. So, this one, if you get it, and you should, includes yeah. a 48-page hardcover uh, commemorative book. Wonderful. It's a, just wonderful. A collectible full-size umbrella. Which is ridiculous. I gotta tell you, it's the cheapest umbrella ever. It 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 it, it costs like maybe ten cents, and it just it, you're, you'll never use it. You will truly never use it. So that that's kind of silly. It is just this is just a wonderful. It is the, the greatest, umbrella, the greatest musical ever made, except for South Pacific. Yeah, you know uh, how much I love South Pacific. Blech. No, it's uh, the umbrella is silly, and the um, the the recreation of the posters, the original posters, that's silly too. That's uh, those are extras that they just throw on here, just. Just for filler, just to have something to stick into a great big box. The book is terrific, and all the extras are great. Um, and, you know, the commentary has been around before. All the documentaries, absolutely sensational. But here's the thing. Ultimately, the reason you're getting this, it's the movie. It's because this movie is so unbelievably beautiful in, in HD. It is incredible how good this looks. And this is, the re this is why this happened at a fortuitous time. Uh, my wife's sister and her two daughters, both of them millennials, age 16 and 22, were in town. You okay? Don't choke on that. I, I, I thought I put down my fork too loudly, and you yeah, could pick it up on the yeah, mic. I did, but the, don't worry about it. It's, uh, the, the show isn't that professional. So, uh, and uh, the youngest one, 16, you know, we we're going to watch a movie. And she said, you know what I've never seen? I've never seen Singing in the Rain. And I said, you know what? As it happens, just got it on Blu-ray. Why don't we just all sit down and watch Singing in the Rain? Now, that, just, those, that doesn't happen. You know, that kind of coincidence. So uh, we all sat down, threw on Singing in the Rain. You know, uh, everybody had some food, turned the lights down, let it be a, a big home theater experience. And everybody, it's, I'll tell you, man, I haven't seen Singing in the Rain um, in this level of quality. The last time I saw it was when they, the, the DVD release came out, which was, what, three, four years ago. And then uh, I haven't seen it, you know, like high def projected, anything close to this level of quality, probably in 20 years. It's unbelievable how well this film holds up. It just holds up in every conceivable way. It is absolutely wonderful. And then the following night, we watched The Artist, just because there are all kinds of similarities. And you know what's interesting? Uh, no, you watched The Artist because you're on the DVD. Well, I'm, I'm on it, too. But, but Jean Dujardin in, uh, in The Artist, same age that Gene Kelly was in uh, Singing in the Rain, 40 years old, both of them. And Gene Kelly, when you think about it, he's 40 in Singing in the Rain, and Debbie Reynolds is like 19 or 20, and they're playing a couple... But Gene Kelly, just he looks ageless. Everyone else in that movie is in their 20s. Donald O'Connor is like 27. It's unbelievable. That it, movie topped the AFI's 100 musicals ever. Yeah. Topped it. Number yep. one. 
Don't 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 scream when you're eating. Oh, sorry. Now <laughs> now they don't really make musicals anymore. Well, not like that. And and by the way, that is you know we we forget Singing in the Rain was much more of a Rock of Ages style musical. These songs weren't originally written for this movie. This is not a movie where the songs are all part of a. A, a thematically cohesive narrative where it's like, you know, My Fair Lady. and they pro- These are all old Arthur Freed songs from other movies and other productions that he just uh, pulled together. One of which, by the way, you know, Make Them Laugh, the, was, was basically a, a, an avowed and admitted knockoff of um, Be a Clown. I mean, it, was, it isn't even disguised. Freed even admitted that. Couldn't get Rice to be a clown. They needed something like so he wrote Make Him Laugh. And, uh, but all of it, you know, they, he pieced them together, and they built a story around it, and the whole thing works. And it's just one of the great magical pieces of American film history. That is true. And the dance routine where Gene Kelly sings in the rain when he shot that, he was you, sick with 103 fever when they shot that. You, you know, uh, something else I, I, was, I was doing when we were watching it. I said, you know what? I'm going to count how many times they cut in each of these musical sequences. And honestly, on average, it's anywhere between six and nine cuts in a three- or four-minute song sequence. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, imagine Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann cuts three to, six, three to nine times every, every three to nine seconds. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it's like it, and most of those cuts are pop-ins. It, it, and it, it's, you know, just it pop in for a little close-up uh, and then pop out again, or, the, you know, you'll, you'll crane in and then you pop out again. They, it's, it's, it's very rhythmic, and it's always on the bar. You know, it's always in, in rhythm with the song. I mean, it's just so beautifully put together, and it's not complicated. The editing is very simple. The choreography is uh, is where this is the star, and the editing is there to support the choreography. So anyway, this set is amazing. Go out, buy it. You got to get it. it. This is one of the best looking. This may wind up being the best looking Blu-ray of the year. What? Yeah, I'm saying it right now. That is high praise. Yes, it is from Caesar. High praise unto Caesar. Absolutely. So that being said, we had to get that out of the way. Um, you know what? Let's roll through the old movies. Classic movies, actually. We did have uh, some listeners say to us, please stop calling them old movies. They're classic movies. And I agree. Uh, so I'm going to try and change that, uh, change that habit. Uh, we've got The uh, Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea. And uh, I, I must say, this is a film I was relatively unaware of for a long time. This is from 1976. And uh, it stars Chris Christopherson and Sarah Miles. I am, of course, not a giant Chris Christopherson fan. I don't dislike the man. He just sort of did all the same things in every movie that he did. But I am a big Sarah Miles fan because of Ryan's daughter and the fact that she was married to Robert Bolt, David Lean's screenwriter. And she's a little bit crazy, but uh, and she's been in some very strange movies. But um, this this one is okay. You know, um, she and Chris Christopherson are not an obvious romantic team for for the screen, but somehow there's chemistry here. She plays a uh, an English widow, and he plays a uh, crusty American sailor. And uh, you know what? It's not as uh, scandalous as it was at the time that it came out. Not by a long shot, but it's a beautiful looking film. A night, one of those kind of nice pastoral uh, cinema scope. Things that, uh, you know, romance, one of those uh, period romance things that they uh, did back in the day. Very nicely shot, by the way, by uh, Doug Slocum, who did Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Really nice, uh, really nice cinematography. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's a little dated. It has a whole 70s vibe to it, but uh, it's okay. uh, You know, they did a nice job over at Shot Factory putting this out on Blu ray, and uh, I think it's worth checking out. So that would be Chris Christopherson and Sarah Miles in The Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea. Oh, yeah. Wait, there's a film from uh, the 1970s called Tales That Witness Madness. 
a very awkward uh, title, Tales That Witness Madness. And this is a British film, and it's an anthology of horror sort of a film. It stars Donald Pleasance and uh, Joan Collins and Kim Novak, and it's very bad. The movie was directed uh, by Freddie Francis. Now, Freddie Francis was two things. He was yeah. a director and he was a cinematographer. Yep. As a director, he did nothing but crap. <laughs> just horror crap. But as a cinematographer... Elephant Man. Whole nother story. I know. Whole nother story. Glory, Cape Fear, Elephant Man, like yeah. Wade says, French Lieutenant's Woman. He was... He's the, he's the guy. He was the guy. But as the director, he Junk. W- was not the guy. It's, it's just bizarre how one guy could like... He's, he, he, it's all like kind of horror hammer type stuff. It really is. Yeah. But the thing is that his, his, his directing career was effectively over in the 70s, kind of in the early 70s. And then in the 80s, he became a cinematographer and one of the best. So uh, instead of watching Tales That Witness Madness, just the worst title for a movie ever, yep. go ahead and rent like anything he shot. Yeah, I Pretty agree. much. Yeah. Including uh, Glory, Dune. He shot Dune. I know. Well, he was Lynch's guy for, for a while, you know. Uh, we got a quartet of um, releases here to Blu-ray, new to Blu-ray, from the Touchstone Library. And uh, they're all kind of uh, not really amazing. They just sort of spat them out uh, and put them very quickly on Blu-ray, you know, threw the Blu-ray monkey in front of the machine, threw the switch, and didn't have anybody really look at it. So these aren't going to win any awards for prettiness, but if, you, if you're – and no extras, by the way, really – um, but if you really love these movies and you feel you have to have them in some form of high def, even if it's not brilliant high def, just so that you know they're out there. Uh, John Travolta in Phenomenon, which was one of a handful of movies. Phenomenon. Dun, 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 dun. Phenomenon. Dun, 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 dun. Thanks for that. Phenomenon. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, yeah, Phenomenon was uh, one. Dun, 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 dun. Thank you. Now you don't want to say it. I don't. Do it or not. Was one of those movies that he came out with uh, right after he had his renaissance following uh, 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 the Tarantino thing. Huh? What are you uh, talking about? Pulp Fiction. I'm supposed to pay attention to you yes, now? Yes, you are. I didn't realize Pulp, that. Pulp Fiction. After Pulp Fiction uh, resurrected Travolta's career, he came out with a handful of really mediocre films and so-so films, all of which inexplicably went on to gross over $100 million just because everybody had to get their Travolta on all of a sudden, and that was one of them. Uh, so it, it I didn't a, mind Phenomenon that much. It's okay. It's oh. fine. It's, it, you know, John Turtletaub, real workmanlike director. And, it, you know, it's kind of a nice, sweet story. Uh, this guy who, you know, this, this, he's 37, by the way, in the film, which is weird. I, it's, I'm just like this. No, sorry. It, it, Travolta's like, hasn't been 37 for 37 years. But, um, you know, the, the idea that he's somehow, myst- he's one, an average guy who uh, gets hit by a light and develops these mystical powers. It's a, you know, we all want to live through that. So it's kind of a fantasy fulfillment idea, and it's okay. Uh, the Horse Whisperer, uh, Robert Redford, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, and a uh, shockingly, shockingly young Scarlett Johansson um, all make this a very, very mediocre movie. Um, the, you know, this book was a big, huge deal, and they went and they got this thing. I mean, as far as the writing of it, it's really, it should have been so much better. Eric Roth and Richard Legravenise. I, I trust can, I can, trust the Gravenese, but I don't know if I trust Roth. He's a he's a bit of a formulaic guy. I feel like but he's, there's not a lot of real emotion. Like there's it, emotion, but not like well, there isn't Forrest Gump. I mean, if you're putting these two guys to work on this novel, you should have gotten a better movie out of this. And certainly Redford shouldn't have directed it with you know his usual glowing light pouring through the windows, and it's it's a little bit much. It's a little thick. But anyway, um, that's what Robert Richardson does. He just won an Oscar. 
Him and his long gray hair. Uh, nice Thomas Newman score, but otherwise, you know, this is not much here. The the This is one of the few that has extras, music video, and a few featurettes, all of them pulled from the EPK. Not a big deal. Uh, then we also have Step Up, which is a... There's fran- a new Step Up movie, Wade. Yeah, I know. This is Step a fran- Up. It's Step an Up in- 2. It's Electric an- Boogaloo. It's an inexplicable franchise. Uh, all the same extras here that were on the previous DVD release, in- mostly music videos and a, and a commentary and uh, bloopers and deleted scenes. Nothing spectacular. Um, Channing Tatum, very young, totally able to dance, but uh, you're better off seeing his new movie. That's all I'm saying. Not a great Blu-ray. His career might actually go somewhere. There's a chance. First, it, no, it's going to. It's it, going to. It looked to. like it was going to go nowhere. He'd yeah. just be a big dumb hunk. Yeah. But then he worked with Soderbergh a couple times. That's always good. And uh, it, it, there, there's, there's a possibility. Should have been Superman. Anyway, I'm just saying. And then uh, the one that is my pick here, even though I'm not, I'm less than enthralled by the Blu-ray transfer, I really got to put a little uh, shout out for Under the Tuscan Sun with Diane Lane. I, you know what? This movie will just make you want to go to Italy. And it'll make you wish you were there with Diane Lane, but you can't be. But you can at least go to Italy and pretend that you're there with Diane Lane. Uh, Under the Tuscan Sun, look, there's not much to this movie. Uh, This is a woman who's you know, wants to get her groove back, and so she cavorts on over to Tuscany to find love and romance and good food and a great vacation. That's what it is. It's just just a vicarious vacation in Tuscany, and it is so beautifully shot. Uh, Directed and... and, um, written by Audrey Wells, and very nicely done so. Audrey Wells has kind of fallen off the radar a little bit. Uh, she was on a track to kind of become a big deal, at least as a screenwriter for a while, and uh, I don't really know what happened. But anyway, based on the book by um, Francis Mays, and uh, I, uh, I, I love this movie. I think it's wonderful. Should be should be a better uh, Blu-ray. They are claiming that it is newly digitally restored. I don't know what that means. It's not like this movie needed to be restored. I think what they mean is uh, it's a new digital transfer. Uh, they're not using the words correctly. Uh, even still, looks good, not great, but, you know, it's worth getting. It's worth, at least worth watching as a Blu-ray. Wade, uh, let's do some oldies, Wade. Oldies, but that doesn't mean they're goodies. The Lawless, which is with McDonald Carey and uh, Gail Russell, is actually really not a bad little movie. It's, a, uh, it's about mob violence in a northern California town. And, uh, you know, it really isn't uh, bad. The, 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 uh, the action is good, moves along nice. The romance is lame and kind of hackneyed. But, uh, you know, it's got cool little little bits of violence and, you know, guys, no nonsense, you know, mob guys trying to, you know, make it in the big city. So there's definitely some good stuff there. There's also a, a little subtext about, a, like a, about a newspaper man who's also covering the, uh, the goings-on in this northern California town. So it's really not that bad, the lawless. You'll probably never see it, nor should you, but your parents may have heard of McDonald Carey because he was pretty popular back in the day. Uh, now, you know, uh, Film Chest, they sometimes unearth some oldies also, and they uh, do love them some Roy Rogers. Here we have Roy Rogers and uh, Trigger, the smartest horse in the movies. In Springtime in the Sierras. Now, this one is not the best uh, Roy Rogers film, but uh, it's certainly one that's not so bad. Um, this is from 19... Uh, what is it from? This is from 19... It's got to be 30-something, 40-something. Yeah. Well, I wonder when this is from. What did you say on the box? Yeah. I watched the movie, and I didn't even say on the box. Yeah, well... Interesting. It, yeah. But actually, the, the, the best thing on this is that there's a 60-minute Easter special that aired in 1961, hosted by Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. And uh, it uh, guest stars include Charlie Weaver and Eddie Arnold and uh, the Limelighters. Yeah. Ooh. Anyway, uh, Springtime in the Sierra is Roy Rogers at his meh, nominal. Totally. 
All right, we got a bunch of stuff from Kino as well. Kino is uh, is really pumping out a lot of cool titles, a lot of cool Blu-ray titles. Uh, you know, they acquired the Redemption Library not long ago, and so they're putting out a lot of the old Redemption uh, genre horror pieces on Blu-ray and DVD. And uh, two new ones, Burke and Hare, not the more recent uh, 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 kind of British comedy made by... Um, John Landis, which is actually a, a pretty fun film. This is with uh, Darren Nesbitt and Glenn Edwards, directed by Vernon Sewell. And uh, this was uh, made in the very cheesy but colorful year of 1972. And, uh, you know, Burke and Hare, everybody knows, they're, they're, the, they're the, the grave robbers, the famous grave robbers. And so there's a lot of mileage to be gotten out of this, whether it's, you know, more recently or in the 1970s. Uh, it, just, it just feels very dated in a kind of a cheesy way. But uh, that being said, you know, it's got a certain uh, period kitsch to it that uh, it kind of goes a little bit along the, the hammer feel. And that being said, here's another one by Vernon Sewell that is much more in the hammer vein, largely because it has Peter Cushing in it, the Blood Beast Terror. You can almost hear the organ music, can't you? Uh, this is um, Peter Cushing as basically, essentially Sherlock Holmes, but not really Sherlock Holmes. He's The, the character's name is Detective Inspector Quennell. And um, it's basically Peter Cushing doing Sherlock Holmes. Just, that's, you know... Just admit it. Although it's a much cheesier film than even a lot of his cheesy uh, Hammer stuff. Uh, the Blood Beast Terror was made in 1968, a venerable year for exploitation films, be they British, Italian, Japanese, or American. And uh, this thing blows by at 87 minutes. Don't uh, adjust your television set. It is meant to have a 166 aspect ratio. Uh, it's just it's just the kind of film it is. So these are these are kitsch items from the the uh, Redemption Library, courtesy of Kino, and uh, very nice on Blu-ray. I have to admit. Also from Kino, we have a Blu-ray and DVD of uh, Devil's Needle and other tales of vice and redemption. This is not from the Redemption Library, despite that title. And this is some beautifully, beautifully remastered uh, silent stuff from uh, 1913, 15, and 16. Um, it, this is um, pretty thematically rough stuff for uh, for silent films. You know, we, we tend to think of uh, pre-code films as being sound films from the 30s, but, you know, silent films went off the edge every once in a while as well. And, uh, you know, you have drug addiction in here and uh, all moral degradation of all kinds. It's uh, it, it's pretty interesting. Um, nice, nice dip in a swamp from the silent period. Uh, the silent stuff really looks best on Blu-ray. I got to tell you, it's the, there's something about the grain from the way those films were shot. It just it pops on Blu-ray in a really nice way. And then we have Buster Keaton, uh, the Saphead, which also is also on DVD and Blu-ray. Get it on the get the Blu-ray. Just it's this is so worth the double dip. And Saphead is wonderful. Uh, a real underrated Keaton film from 1920. This is color tinted on top of that, so it, it this doubly pops. And uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know how you, you even not recommend anything Keaton. Um, you know, this is just it's fantastic. And uh, this is really one of those Keaton films that everybody kind of overlooks, and they shouldn't. It's uh, it's Keaton doing some of his best and most inventive and cleverest work, albeit not on a grand scale like some of the other films. What else you got for us, Mark? What? Oh, what? oh, what? sorry. What, what happened? I don't, you, you, are you reading email? What are you doing? Well, you're talking about a bunch of crap I don't care about. Uh, Instead of talking about this week's Criterion. Sorry. You want to know what this week's Criterion is, Wade? What is it? Down by Law. Oh, Jarmish, man. Now, this is uh, Jim Jarmish at his most Jim Jarmishy. This is uh, 1986. Does that not seem like a billion years ago? This is... Uh, and it's by so the way, weird, man. 86. It, it just... I... But 80, 86 was a different year. 86, there was a... 
relatively interesting little underground American film movement going on. And uh, Jarmusch was right on the forefront of it. And uh, this is a great film. This is a film that about it's about these um, it's about these guys who these three guys who uh, there's an unemployed disc jockey and it's like this pimp and a this Italian guy played by Roberto Benigni and they're in a Louisiana prison and uh, what happens in the prison? That's what the movie's about. That's all I'll say. And it looks great. It's uh, it's a low budget film. But it's a black and white film, so it does look good. Uh, it's got a bunch of great extras on it, including uh, you know footage from the 1986 Cannes Film Festival. Uh, music video from for Tom. Now Tom Waits was instrumental in it. He um, he was in the film. The music is by John Lurie. The music's good too. But Tom Waits is actually in the film, and um, it has a bunch of other stuff too, um, including a Q and A with Jarmish, where he, um, he answers fan questions. And uh, it's good. It's a good looking movie. It's a funky, funny, interesting, quirky little film. It's the one he did right after Stranger Than Paradise, and I think Jarmish is kind of like you know he's a bit spent now. I don't really know what. Uh, what is Jarmusch even doing? Um, I don't know. Does he just even do anything anymore? Hang, hanging out. Exactly. Broken Flowers was amazing, and then he came. That out was with, good. And then he did something after that that was really crappy. That, that's true. But Broken Flowers with Bill Murray was oh, good. So good. But uh, anyway, so uh, you know what? It, again, it's black and white. It's Louisiana. It's the Bayou. It looks grim, but it's really not. There's humor throughout, and I just like this film a lot. Down by law. You know, we have. Um, we, I talk a lot about Olive and uh, Twilight Time as really cool companies, little companies that went in there and they cut some deals with some studios to say, you know, li- license us your A-list titles and we will do better, uh, a better job for cinephiles with them. We've got a couple here from Olive that are just fr- terrific. Great Blu-ray releases this week. These are a big deal, both of them. Both from the Paramount Library, as uh, most of this Olive stuff is. And ye- I'm sorry, I don't know how Paramount is just... I'm glad that they let Olive run with these, but you've got to wonder, why would you not have enough presence of mind to be, to realize these are your gems, these are your jewels, these are your the weird crown part. jewels? I mean, look, I, I understand that Paramount has you know th- thousands of films uh, available to them. But, but for crying out loud, Mark, the original 1956 Don Siegel-directed Kevin McCarthy starring Invasion of the Body Snatchers. This is not just some film from the Paramount Library. This is like one of the films from the Paramount Library. Uh, this is, I mean, Don Siegel, who would later go on to do things like Dirty Harry and become kind of a big action guy uh, in the 1970s, really just nails it with this. And as we all know by now, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was a, a Cold War allegory at the time. And, uh, you know, the, the Red Scare and all of that uh, dressed up as a movie about aliens. But it is just so good. Even though we're past in, in a post-Cold War environment, it is just still so good, so moody, so smart. So incredibly well done. And Kevin McCarthy, uh, you know, just nails it. He's got that, that big movie star head. And uh, it's a great movie. Absolutely great movie. And it looks terrific on Blu-ray. Bravo, Olive. The other one, Mark, come on. Stop that. High Noon. Why would, why would they not want to put out High Noon? I have no Stop idea. It. Gary Cooper, Grace Kelly, produced by Stanley Kramer, directed by Fred Zinneman, written by Carl Foreman. There's not a single, there's not, every one of these people is legendary. Every single one of these people is, is a, is like film history. 
This is unbelievable. I don't understand why. Why I don't get it. it has I don't to get go it. To Olive. But bravo, Olive. Bravo, because they did a great job. Uh, you get the making of High Noon on here, hosted by our good friend Leonard Malton, who never ceases to amaze me with his just erudite insights. And uh, lots of great interviews, uh, obviously stuff with people who are long since deceased. So this is uh, a lot of stuff you've probably seen before already, including interviews with John Ritter, Fred Zinneman, Stanley Kramer, Lloyd Bridges. Nobody's still alive there. Uh, but it is. A, this is a great film, and you know it's one of the great stories about this. And you, you totally see it. It's, it's just it, the grain is so beautiful here, and the close-ups are so beautiful, and it's so important because that's what makes this film really work. There's a great story where uh, Zinneman wanted was telling Gary Cooper. You know, we make fun of Gary Cooper because he was such a such a granite-faced actor, and like he didn't. I give never up. liked him actually. He never emoted very much, but you know, he knew how to be a movie star, and uh, he apparently wasn't giving Zinneman enough emotion. And it was a close-up. It was like a big deal close-up walking down the street. You know, it's one of those walking down the street. It's in the in the the uh, the the moment, the right near the end of the film when everything's going to break loose. And um, Zinman wanted more emotion, and he said, "Wait till you see it in the rushes." And sure enough, it was there. You know, as soon as his face was fifteen feet big, you saw all the emotion. He knew how to modulate it. He knew how to calibrate the performance based on the lens. It was just you know that's each wrinkle. Oh, beautiful, just beautiful stuff. Gary Cooper gave his best performance in the film that he only appeared in for one scene. Which is? Wings. Oh, there you go. And then uh, on the other uh, side of that equation, Twilight Time. We got a bunch more great Twilight Time titles here, some uh, that they previously released. Uh, remember, Twilight Time, you have to go to uh, which website, Mark? TwilightTime.com.org.tv.net. No, TV, incorrect. Dot net. Incorrect. This, uh, no, I, I have it. It's um, these are the movies that were released by Twilight Time, so get them because they're really really cool. org screenarchives. dot com. That was, my next, go, that was my next guess. You have to go to screenarchives. dot com to find the Twilight Zone, Twilight Time titles. It's Twilight Time. It, it releases these, but screenarchives. dot com is where you find them. Uh, we got Bell Book and Candle on Blu Ray. Which, of course, is uh, essentially the movie that largely inspired the TV series uh, Bewitched with Kim Novak and uh, Jimmy Stewart. It's a lovely, wonderful film directed by Richard Quine. It is just, it's fantastic. You know, it's not completely Bewitched, but it's just, it's a, it's a nicely paced, very romantic, supernatural romantic comedy. It's terrific. Uh, Pal Joey with Frank Sinatra. You know, the funny thing about Pal Joey, they're talking about that today on Blu-ray. Um, you know who was not in Pal Joey? Oh, a lot of people. Um, you know, Melissa McCarthy wasn't in it. Harrison uh, Ford. Carrot Top wasn't in it. Gene Kelly's not in it. What? You know why that's interesting? Because he died. Because Gene Kelly, before he came to Hollywood, was in Pal Joey on Broadway. What? Wouldn't you have expected him to be in the movie? That happens all the time. Isn't that weird? They're, they're, they're in the Broadway play and they're not in the film. I know. It happens all the time. And this was five years after Singing in the Rain. Go figure. And yet Sinatra is in it. So uh, that's a peculiar thing. But you know what? Pal Joey is still a really fun film. Uh, very nicely done by George Sidney, who was one of the great uh, musical directors of the day. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a Rodgers and Hart musical. So it's uh, kind of halfway toward Rodgers and Hammerstein. And uh, it's fine. It's uh, not as probably as, as fabulous as it should have been, uh, given how popular the, the play was. But it's it's there. You know, it, it's uh, it's a it's an awfully fun movie, and uh, Sinatra is a, a lot of fun. And then uh, Bite the Bullet, which is uh, I like this movie. Gene Hackman. 
you like it's a Richard Brooks film, so it's got that grit, that edge to it. Yeah, uh, made in nineteen seventy five, and uh, you know I like the prof- as far as Richard Brooks movies go, I think I like the Professionals better, uh, a few of his others, but um, this is certainly a, a good one. It's a, it's a decent late era western. You know those early to mid seventies westerns still kind of have a. They still have a little something to them. So uh, Bite the Bullet uh, is certainly worth checking out, as is The Roots of Heaven, which I had never seen before. And uh, this is a surprisingly really, really good Blu-ray, um, considering you know the age, 1958, Trevor Howard. Uh, one of those adventure epics, uh, a John Huston film that we don't really often think about, frankly. Uh, you know, It feels more like a John Huston film, but... Um, and it feels like John Huston's life, but not like a John Huston film. Does that make sense? Nothing you say makes sense. Ah, uh, never mind. Anyway, uh, it, the sad thing about this movie, much as Trevor Howard is really, really good in it, is that the, the, you, you look at this one dude and you go, man, that guy just looks, oh my gosh, that's Errol Flynn. Fat and alcoholic and really a has-been. That's when I got to really get into Errol Flynn because he Very reminded sad. me of me. 1958. Very sad. Uh, I think one reason this movie just sort of uh, didn't get a lot of traction is because it came the year after Bridge in the River Kwai, and um, I don't know. I don't know. Not so much. Not so much. But uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm waffling on this one. Anyway, uh, forget it. Here we go. These are the two big uh, Twilight Time releases of the week. And again, I don't know why these films were released by their respective studios. Uh, 20th Century Fox should have had uh, more foresight to realize that Those Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines is a really great movie. But they didn't. They let uh, Twilight Time have it. And thank goodness, because it's an awful lot of fun. Um, if you haven't seen this, Ken Anakin directed this. There's a, there's a sequel to it. And uh, the sequel is not as good. But th- this is such a fun crazy period comedy that just takes you back to a period when innovation and aviation and all of these eccentric ideas it was just it was like wide open and um you don't really get that unless you read the subtitle to the film which is a lot like Dr. Strangelove it's not just those magnificent men and their flying machines any more than it's Dr. Strangelove what's the subtitle to Dr. Strangelove it's Dr. Strangelove or you really think I don't know that Go ahead. Do you me. really think I don't no, know No, I that? know you know it. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Thank you. <laughs> How I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. See, now it makes sense. In this case, it's those magnificent men in their flying machines or how I flew from London to Paris in 25 hours and 11 minutes. <laughs> you dragged that out, didn't you? I did. Because uh, it's funny. Um, how I flew to, from London to Paris in 25 hours, 11 minutes. And that right there, you're like, oh my gosh, it's got to be hysterical. And it's a crazy competition, and it's nuts, and uh, it's a wonderful flashback to a great time. And then lastly, uh, from the Columbia Library, again, courtesy of Twilight Time, is uh, the fantastic, wonderful cover girl. You know, uh, Rita Hayworth was a a student of my father's. Uh, Her father was the dancing instructor at my father's school. 
And uh, so I grew up hearing a lot of great stories about Rita Hayworth as a little girl, as a teenager growing up. And, uh, you know, never, never a bad word to say about that amazing woman and one of the great uh, movie stars of all time. Here, uh, it's Rita Hayworth who steals this movie, despite the fact that she is alongside somebody else we talked about earlier, Gene Kelly, who in 1944 was kind of fresh into his Hollywood career. So it was still big-time Rita Hayworth, and Gene Kelly was definitely the second, uh, second tier here. And uh, Charles Vidor, another one of the great uh, Golden Era directors, directed this. And uh, you know what? I'll tell you, this is, all this is is a great, big, full-blown Technicolor salute to how glorious and fabulous Rita Hayworth is. And, you know, it's, uh, you got these amazing Jerome Kern and Ira Gershwin songs, but it, it doesn't matter. It's just all about Rita Hayworth. She is so, she just glows in this movie. She is just so beautiful. She's so radiant. She's so perfect. Um, you just, it's just, there's, there's, this is what movie stars are made to do. And any movie star today, they just pale by comparison. It's, it's just amazing how wonderful she is in this movie. Yeah, we don't really have any, uh, what glamorous movie stars do we have now? Like old school glamour. It's, it, it, I don't know. Angelina Jolie, maybe kind of, sort of, not really. No. Who is that? Nicole Kidman? No, not really. No. Nicole Kidman's kind of uh, done, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't know who's out there who's uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, real quick, carrying uh, that torch. I want to nail a couple of uh, Miramax titles that are out on Blu-ray as well. O, which is the uh, teen version of Othello starring Julia Stiles and uh, Josh Hartnett and Mikhail Pfeiffer. Um, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's not technically a, a, an adaptation of Othello. It's not really Shakespearean. It's just the, the story. It's not the dialogue, obviously. So um, it's an okay film, decent performances, but uh, you know, set in kind of teen culture, and the you know, like as a whole interracial romance doesn't quite work. And Jackie Chan and Operation Condor. This is the horrible, miserable, disgusting, vile, awful uh, English dubbed version of uh, The Armor of God that should never be seen by anyone, even if it's on Blu-ray. So I cannot recommend this. But uh, I do recommend that you dig up The Armor of God One and Armor of God Two, Operation Condor. And um, take a look at them in proper import versions so that you can get ready for the third film, which now, some 20-odd years later, is coming out shortly. Yay! Jackie, Jackie's finally come out with another Armor of God film. Isn't that great? Jackie, yeah. is, uh, he's kind of retired from uh, swashbuckling. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Wait, there were a lot of uh, Django films. A lot of them. There's really only two that matter. The, the one is the original. And the one that Tarantino just made. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be so good. Come on. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Of course you are. Yeah. Stop it. Now, of the, uh, of the, the Django films that uh, came after the original and still the best, yeah. we have uh, Django Kill. This is by uh, stars uh, Tomas Millian. It's directed by a guy named uh, Guilio Questi, who directed a terrible, horrible film called Death Laid an Egg. Oh, my gosh. That was the name of the film, Death Laid an Egg. And uh, it was co-written and edited by the guy who co-wrote Once Upon a Time in America and Last Tango in Paris. So you'd think it'd be better. And yet it is not. So anyway, uh, you know, Django goes to this town called the unhappy place oh, and he's the, the movie's very violent but it's yeah. sort of that like that cheesy italian you know late 60s uh you know violence that's just yeah. ridiculous yeah where it's like you know what i hated about those films that mm. every single gunshot even if the gunshot was in the middle of the desert yeah there was still that like studio sound library echo on all the gunshots i hated that it annoyed me anyway django kill not good 
Uh, now wait, we have another film uh, that's kind of like that. This is from the Hammer Collection. Now, Hammer, as you know, is uh, Hammer is is almost synonymous. Wait, synonymous. Yes. With should we say good horror or bad horror? Um, both. <laughs> some of them are great. Some of them are terrible. Actually, some some, some of them are great. But um, you know, actually, the, the, the Hammer brand was recently uh, resurrected for uh, Let Me In, and it's kind of gone nowhere since. It's kind of weird. Well, they also did the uh, the Raven, <laughs> which aye. Uh, anyway, uh, Twins of Evil is a Hammer film. Twins of Evil from 1971. This is uh, stars Peter Cushing, who we had talked about before. This is the third film of a strange little trilogy called the Kerstein Trilogy, and it's based on a, a, an old vampire tale. And, uh, you know, it's about two beautiful sisters, uh, Frida and Maria. And, uh, you know, the only thing I don't like about this film is that there's not enough uh, vampire lesbian. And there's not enough vampire lesbian love in this film, Wade. Sorry. Although some of them they have, like, because the movie's kind of a prequel to this other film called The Vampire Lovers mm -hmm. and Lust for a Vampire, yeah. which was a little bit sexier. So this one is just a little bit cheesier. Peter Cushing is uh, pretty much the only name in the cast you would have ever heard of. And uh, the film's not very good. Uh. Although, you know what? They, I have to say Synapse. Occasionally Synapse, I, I got to tell you, they really hit and they knock it out of the ballpark. It's not a bad transfer. Uh, there's a deleted scene, and this is an old film, so to you know to dredge up a deleted scene is not easy. Yeah. Uh, isolated music track, which Wade and I always appreciate, and uh, a documentary called The Brilliant. Flesh and the Fury. There you go. About the Twins of Evil. Uh, we got a couple of uh, 20th Century Fox Cinema Archives releases here. These are a little bit like the WarnerArchive.com uh, releases. These are MOD, Manufacture on Demand, which means they are high-quality DVD-Rs that you uh, order directly. You know who, uh, by the way, you know who burns those? Hmm. It's a special group of people who burn those. You know, Monkey, monkeys? No, they're called the Mod Squad. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's what okay. I said. Thank you. Come M -O on. MOD, Mod that's Squad. Funny. I get that. That's a joke. If okay. you said that, if you said that, you would expect me to fall on the floor. Well, of course, I tell bad jokes. You don't. Wow! Well, look at that backhanded compliment. Thank you. Uh, you can get you can get these at uh, foxconnect.com, uh, and uh, definitely go check out there. Uh, Mr. Belvedere rings the bell. Mark, I know it's one of your favorite all time films, isn't it? You love this movie. Uh, although the, uh, the, 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 how about the sitcom, Mr. Belvedere? It has nothing to do with it. Uh, this is from 1951, and uh, this stars Clifton Webb. Uh, a, a unheralded and long absent star, um, along with a young Zero Mostel, believe it or not, directed by Henry Coster, and uh, it's a, it's a sweet film, really, uh, about this guy who uh, kind of lights up a, an old uh, retirement home, and uh, it's a little bit like uh, some of the same vibe that you get in more recent movies like Cocoon. I can't believe I'm calling Cocoon recent, uh, but relative to this, it's recent. It's a sweet film, uh, a nice uh, classic to rediscover from the uh, 20th Century Fox vaults, probably more worth renting than, uh, than owning. And then uh, also much better is, uh, and this is kind of sad to me too, because this was a film that was specifically shepherded by Daryl Zanuck, whose son Richard Zanuck uh, recently passed away. I know. And that's just really... Jaws. I know. Anyway, this is the original beautiful black and white version of Kidnapped, the uh, Stevenson, the, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson Kidnapped, which is a movie that I always thought they needed to remake it. That would be such a great adventure tale to remake, especially with the whole, you know, if you do it in the style and at the scale of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, oh my gosh, it'd be just great, you know, get Kenneth Branagh directed. I'm dreaming, I know. It's never going to happen. I hit the mic. But, uh, and, and, that, and good for you. Good for you, Mark. <laughs> you should be very proud. Uh, no, this is a really terrific production of this. A lot of great actors in here, including John Carradine and Freddie Bartholomew and uh, 
um, Ralph Forbes. It's a it's a really solid cast, a very nicely done film from uh, the late 1930s. And uh, if you want to see the kind of the definitive film version of this, I can't believe it. They haven't done another one since. So you got to stick with this, uh, you know, DVD-R version of Kidnapped from the 20th Century Fox Cinema Archives. And then uh, lastly, as far as classic films, I'm not sure if this qualifies as a classic. Um, I'm going to show Mark the cover of this just to make him laugh for a second, Mark. This is Chesty Morgan's Bosom Buddies. Yeah. <laughs> the only Bosom Buddies I care about is the same one you care about uh, with Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari. Yes, exactly. Anyway, uh, Chesty Morgan, kind of a somewhere between exploitation and porn. And this is uh, an image Blu-ray from the Something Weird Video Library, and uh, it includes three films, Deadly Weapons, Double Agent 73, and The Immoral 3. The only reason that I can kind of recommend this is because these three films were all directed by the wonderful Doris Wishman. They are not among Doris Wishman's best films. They're actually among her worst films, Um, unless you just think Chesty Morgan and her magnificent, enormous... Um, assets are um, worth watching in three consecutive movies. Um, it's about you know three and a half hours worth of, of boobage here. But um, Doris Wishman's movies are at least always amusing. There's always something of a subtext to them, even if she didn't necessarily intend it. And uh, it's uh, you know it's exploitation film history. What can I tell you? Uh, Doris, by the way, wonderful lady. I was proud to have met her. You um, uh, did an extensive interview with her for your documentary... Schlock, The Secret History of American Movies. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Um, Actually, actually it's called Schlock, or How I Crossed the uh, European Frontier in 25 Hours and 11 Minutes. Indeed. So I'm going to uh, get us into into a Vox Box right now. Wait, uh, stop that. Wait a second. What? Hmm? You were going to do that without me singing the song? Oh, almost. (laughs) Vox Box. Hey, Mark and Wade. I was looking over my collection the other day, trying to find something to watch, and I came across a number of movies I realized I have never seen. Now, I grew up in the 80s with a VCR. I can never remember a time when owning a movie and being able to watch it at home was a new and incredible thing. For me, it's just always been that way. Yet I, along with everyone listening to this podcast, as well as the two of you, I'm sure, have a very strong desire to own not only every movie that we like, but every movie important to the culture of film and its history. And it's not just keeping up with the latest format. I still have a working VCR, because I have a number of movies that aren't available on DVD. I also know many people still have Laserdisc players, a format that has been dead for quite some time. My question to you is this. Why do we have such a strong urge to own a copy of that movie or that TV show? especially in a time when so much is available to stream online and when digital copies are available. What is it about physical media that compels us to compulsively collect? Thank you so much for everything, and keep up the great work. And that was from our longtime listener, Eric Altieri, who's also contributed a lot of really great intros. Um, I think that's a great question, and uh, ever since he sent that to us, I've been kind of mulling that because, you know, I grew up at a time when you could not own movies. You did too. When it was like, oh my gosh, that movie, I love that movie. It's on, it's really, I'll, I'll watch it, it totally cropped and, with, and hacked up with commercials and edited. But owning was not a thing you 
thought of. It's no. not like I like to own that. It was not that it, was, was, it didn't cross and, our minds. And I think that's I think that happened to our generation when suddenly VHS came around and then VHS sell through because originally it was all for rental and you thought, "Oh my gosh, I can actually own that movie. I can put it on any time. I can watch it whenever I want. I can control my connection to the movie." Uh, I think at that moment, suddenly it became, it was like the forbidden fruit, you know? It was something that just suddenly dropped in our laps, and uh, technology made it possible to not be limited. And I, and I don't know that streaming has, has gotten us to the point where we feel, because it, it can go away again. That's the thing that always scares me. You know, like Netflix will sometimes have something up there for streaming, and then it's gone. And if you have it in your hands, you have it in your closet... You know it's there forever, and even if the internet goes down, if you know anything well, but the generator that you have in your garage, you can still watch it. I also think it's more ele elemental than that. I think that people collect movies because it reminds them of the childhood, or reminds them of the first movie they saw with their uh, future wife, or it reminds them of, uh, of of parts of their past, or it's stuff they loved as a kid. Yeah. You know, I have movies. You know, look, it's Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, a classic, but yeah. I just bought it on Blu-ray a couple of days ago. And I never had it yeah. because when I was a kid, I loved that movie. And when I look at it, it just brings back memories of my childhood or whatever. And uh, I've got yeah. dozens of those movies. So I think that people collect because it is a reflection of who they are. When people come over, they can see the albums they have, the CDs they have, the DVDs they have, and they get a sense of who that person is. It's a reflection of who you are, and it's also a, uh, a way to reconnect with uh, old memories and old events and, and people that you knew through these communal experiences like movies. So I think it's actually more elemental than that. But um, I get what you're saying, and it, it is an interesting question. I know that, uh, you know, like to me, there are people who collect stamps. You know, they collect even, you know, I, to me, movies are almost like baseball cards where you collect baseball cards because there's that continuum. You know, the guy who was famous when your father was a kid. Yeah. You know, that's what, yeah. that's the draw of like collecting baseball cards. Yeah. Or, the, or the, the people who you loved as a kid growing up when you first learned to love baseball. Well, sometimes with Blu rays, you buy the movies that you sure. learned to love when you first learned to love movies. Yep. So uh, it's a great question. That's a thought provoking question. And uh, we'd love to hear more stuff like that at. Gods at digigods.com. Right on. Voxbox, email, whatever it takes. No, 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 no. No, no, no. So um, with I hit the mic now. That was my problem. I'm sorry. I'm a bad man. I'm a bad man. We're going to talk about some new movies. We talked about this last week. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. Did we? Decoy Bride. Yes, we did. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Never mind. I, I, de I declared it horrible. My bad. Sorry. Don't know how that got in there. Uh, salmon Fishing in the Yemen is uh, out this week, and this was a, a big pickup at Sundance, and uh, kind of a big deal, and everybody thought it was all sweet and romantic and wonderful, and uh, a huge amount of money was paid for it by CBS Films, which shocked everyone, because they thought, okay, what's wrong with them? They are way overpaying for this movie, and sure enough, they overpaid for it. It didn't, uh, it didn't perform up to uh, the expectations that one would have associated with the amount of money that they paid for it. Emily Blunt and Ewan McGregor are nonetheless a lovely couple, and it is a really quirky, odd uh, story, it's just it. It's almost impossible to really detail in any kind of a synopsis, but um, it does involve, in fact, um, facilitating salmon fishing in Yemen. Uh, and Ewan McGregor is the fishing, the British fishing expert who's supposed to make it happen, and Emily Blunt is uh, 
you know just she's she's lovely as she always is and uh i i think this is a really cool film it doesn't make an awful lot of sense and it's apparently based on a true story which i find is kind of odd but nonetheless it was declared a pure delight a smart original comedy treat this one is one to see uh by pete hammond of box office (laughs) (laughs) you know i i I think the movie got enough good reviews where they didn't have to necessarily uh resort to a pete hammond anyway it's on blu-ray it's on blu-ray there it is a oh, lovely, lovely film. And no, then, uh, yes, oh. I, was, I was just going to hit the hit this other one real quickly. Do it. Uh, Will Ferrell and Casa de Mi Padre. I don't know what they were thinking. This is out on Blu-ray, and uh, he has another movie coming out called The Campaign. He speaks. Well, that you, looks funny, but you feel like Zach Galifianakis. Yes, yeah. I, I have more hope for that than I had for this. But you feel like it's one of those movies where just Ferrell just he just wanted to do it. It just seems it just seemed like a thing. This is in Spanish, Mark. It's in Spanish. It's Will Ferrell. I don't think he saw this as being a $20 million opening weekend film. I guess not. It's just something he wanted to do. Uh, it's, I guess it's modestly funny. Um, it's it's a, just a peculiar thing. You know, it's basically a um, – it's it's basically doing – Star Wars with um, – No, it's basically like a Western telenovela with Will Ferrell in it. It's just very, very odd. But anyway, there it is. Uh, wait, I don't know what happened to uh, Clive Owen, and it worries me, but I feel like Clive Owen is receding into the nothingness. And uh, one of the films that uh, that motivated his uh, disappearance is a movie called Intruders. Now, Intruders, uh, which is not a great film, was directed by Juan Carlos uh, Fresnadillo, who directed the otherwise terrific 28 Weeks Later, the sequel to 28 Days Later. Which film, is great. A film I liked a lot. I did, too. And uh, this is about a uh, – there's two kids. One is in Spain. The other is in Britain. And they're both visited by this like uh, this faceless uh, monster who wants to you know take possession of them, and um, it doesn't have a bad cast. Again, it's with Clive Owen, who I do like, and it's got a great opening, and it's generally chilly, but it winds up being a little bit silly. It almost takes itself too seriously because it is ultimately just kind of stupid. Um, anyway, but it has it does have mood to spare. So if you haven't, uh, if you're a horror guy and have not seen this, I guess you could do worse than Intruders. But ultimately, um, as moody and yes, oh, as moody as it is, and as dark as it is, um, it's ultimately is not that great. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not going to argue. Lockout. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people were talking about Lockout on our uh, Facebook page when it was uh, first running its trailers, and uh, everyone was comparing it to uh, Die Hard in Space and Outland crossed with Die Hard, and on and on and on. There was just all kinds of uh, you know, Fortress even showed up in there, which is not a favorable comparison. The old Christopher Lambert uh, Prison Break movie. Um, look, this is just straight up uh, unvarnished Luc Besson crap. And Luc Besson just cranks this genre crap out all the time. And uh, you, you, Guy Pierce just did this for the paycheck. It's got all kinds of cheesy one-liners that you would expect from a Schwarzenegger movie in the 1980s. And it's uh, the, even the special effects feel like a little bargain basement. It just even it looks like it wants to be big budget with all the sets and all the you know the space station, the prison space station. But it never feels like they. Re- it doesn't feel like a 150 million dollar movie. It feels like a an 18 million dollar movie. And um, yeah, you know he's the he's the fast talking uh, rebel guy who's got to be lured back to go up and rescue the president's daughter and from the orbiting uh, oh uh, escape from New York of course is the other one that everyone compared it to. Oh, I so, love that movie. But this isn't like any of them. It's just cheesy. And Outland too. It, I said Outland. Oh, yeah. I wasn't paying attention. Either. That's okay. Anyway, it's just cheesy. It's a it's a decent enough Blu-ray. Um, and I respect uh, Guy Pierce for you know giving it his all, but it's just more Luke Besson Europa Corp crap. 
I'm going to start calling it Europa crap. How about that? I, it is, you know, when you look back on the films that Passant did. I'm looking forward to Taken 2, though. That's not crap. Electric Boogaloo? Absolutely. I love Taken. But this is, this is just Europa crap. That's all it is. And uh, not much here. There's a making a featurette and a thing on the special effects and the production design, which is not impressive. On the, um, there's a British talk show hosted by Graham Norton. It's kind of a freewheeling love show. love Graham Norton. He used to be on Father Ted. And they, oh, I liked Father Ted. I well, actually watched that Father Ted. I liked it. You remember when he was on Father Ted? He was on like two or three episodes. No, I don't. He's like, he's like this really hyperactive, borderline gay priest. And, and, and he, he was there with all of his youth kids, and they were, they were occupying the trailer that uh, Father Ted and Father Duke McDougall wanted to go on vacation in. You don't remember that? I do not. Okay, never mind. Uh, there's a funny thing. Uh, Liam Neeson appeared on Graham Norton's show, and he gets great guests and gets him to do fun things. Yep. There's this woman in the audience, uh, Graham Norton's studio audience, who is a big Liam Neeson fan, and they grabbed her cell phone out of the audience, and they had Liam record his little speech from taken where he says uh whatever he says i'm gonna hunt you down i'm gonna find you i'm gonna kill you you know i'm a man of many talents whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever he says uh he records that into her answering machine so that when people call this woman liam neeson says you know you have reached whatever her name was yeah. you have reached betty oh, i will hunt you down and when i find you i will kill you yeah leave yeah. a message at the beep Thank it was you. funny okay you weren't even paying attention <laughs> I just, uh, wait, Abel Ferrara is a uh, yeah. you know what Abel Ferrara he's one of those guys I, I just I love him I just wish he had made ultimately more good films I agree you know I just love the fact that a guy like that is around he's he's a bit depraved if you've seen movies like Bad Lieutenant he's a little unstable too <laughs> he is unstable he's uh, he, he's 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 a bit like Tony K yeah. you get the feeling that if Tony K could just like harness all of his ridiculousness yes a, into like into like focus and make yeah. a movie yeah it could be a great movie yeah I agree anyway a 444 last day on earth is uh, Abel Ferrara's uh, latest film or at the time and uh, it's about the last day on earth Willem Dafoe plays an actor and uh, Shanlin Lee who I guess is Abel Ferrara's girlfriend at the time plays a painter and mm-hmm. literally the movie is about the last day on earth the earth will die at 444 uh and everybody will die with it and obviously it's a bit allegorical and uh it's how does it compare to that steve carell movie huh how does it compare to the more recent steve carell i didn't movie? see that oh uh, yeah. a little searching for friends at the end of the world i didn't yeah. see that yeah. uh anyway this it's an interesting film because really it, it what it was what i like about this film is that it it ultimately strips down existence into what it really is, just a man and a woman and a need to connect. And you realize that the last moments on earth, that's all that ever really mattered. Porn. <laughs> um, you know, the, this, this next... is a big, long story coming. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Not nearly as long as the movie. Kenneth Lonergan, who was wonderful when he made You Can Count on Me. And everyone was like, oh, you're a wonderful independent filmmaker. And then he, he more recently has become the guy who made Margaret. If you haven't heard of Margaret, I don't know that there is time, even on a whole show, to get into this epic odyssey. Um, Margaret is is a movie that Kenneth Lonergan wrote and directed. It stars Anna Paquin as a woman who is, uh, as a teenager, who is just really emotionally traumatized after she witnesses an automobile accident. That she might have caused. That she, that may be, yes, that she may have caused. And this entails the most monstrous, unfocused, meandering, incredibly ambitious drama where you look at it and you think either you are the greatest filmmaker of all time 
or you're totally insane and so far up your own colon that somebody needs to just slap you back down to earth. There's a lot of great stuff in this movie. There's great stuff in it, but as a movie, you just go, it just doesn't work. It you know, just does not hang together. Despite the fact that, you, when, and this was a big argument. I mean, when we voted last year, um, this film was not being made available for uh, uh, awards consideration by 20th Century Fox uh, or by Fox Searchlight, who was pushing, obviously, a whole litany of other awards contenders. And the various critics groups had to pressure them to actually make this film available to be seen because it had been released in what, like two cities and it was like a nothing release and they're trying to bury it because there were lawsuits flying back and forth. And I think those lawsuits are still going between Lonergan and the producers. And uh, like several members of the group saw it and declared it the greatest film ever made, the greatest thing ever introduced into human culture since the Mona Lisa. I don't remember. It was it was ridiculous how hyperbolic some of those emails were. But um, ultimately, look, the movie, there's a theatrical version and there's a, an extended director's cut. Now, Scorsese had something to do with the extended director's cut, did he yes, not? Yes, he did. Uh, he, he facilitated it, it actually coming to fruition. I think it, you know it wasn't going to happen for the lawsuits and all that, and I think somehow Scorsese got involved and and uh, greased the wheels, so to speak. But I honestly, I you know, I can't get through either of them. Really, I can't the, get through either. You know of what? Them. This movie remind this movie is basically Lonergan's Magnificent Ambersons, where you get a sense that I there's a great film. There's a great film in there somewhere, and it's still a terrific film to watch. But it's it, you just know that that, that the it's, masterpiece is in there. And it was, it, it was not given the chance he's to been, come out. But, it, but it, it, he edited it for years, for years, Mark. He spent year, If you can't find the great movie in the material after like two or three years of editing or whatever it was, I mean, give up. But I don't know if that's him. Or I don't know if, if that's if that's the, a problem with the material or the or a problem with Lonergan. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and then a couple of films just to finish up with. Uh, Friends with Kids, which uh, a lot of people found to be unbelievably annoying. I think it has a very, very cute cast, but uh, they're kind of trying to make a low-budget ensemble comedy that rides off the fact that a bunch of these people were actually in Bridesmaids. So uh, they think, oh, look, they were funny in Bridesmaids. So uh, John Hamm and Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph, and uh, they're, all, they're all back again. No, not really. Not, not even close to being Bridesmaids, but probably worth seeing. It's okay. Um, and uh, that's on Blu-ray. Uh, probably worth a rental if you like the actors. It's decent enough. And then lastly, the uh, bizarre Three Stooges, the movie, which just continues to confirm for me that the uh, Farrelly brothers are, really aren't talented. I um, Some people really like this movie. They thought it had a lot of heart, but I just think taking uh, three people who are not the Three Stooges, including Sean Hayes from Will and Grace playing Larry, and dressing them up in a Three Stooges homage uh, that involves like reality television and and orphanages. I know and it's, it's like, just, like it's like the Jersey Shore cast oh, was on. Come on. I mean, give me a break. Come you, on, just you realize stop. who was supposed to star in this? It was, it was like Benicio del Toro and Sean Penn. And I remember when when Sean yeah. Penn was cast, you and I said the same thing. Bad idea. It will not ne- it just won't happen. Not gonna happen. And then very, very last is uh, Mel Gibson in uh, Get the Gringo. This thing came and went because Mel Gibson is just toxic these days. He is uh, persona non grata everywhere in Hollywood. But no, this movie but, isn't bad. <laughs> but, the movie's, but the movie's not bad. It really, it really, really is. isn't. So uh, it's worth discovering. That's out on, uh, on Blu-ray. It really probably should be discovered on Blu-ray. Uh, you know, Mel, Mel gets a bad rap um, as an actor for stuff that he does as a, as a private individual. You know what? I, I, if you can separate the two, uh, it's worth doing because he's good in this. But if, if you think that he's just so absolutely horrible that you can't watch him on screen without thinking about what a psycho he is, then you probably won't enjoy it. But uh, anyway, that's from 20th Century Fox. Kind of getting buried, but it's, uh, it's a Blu-ray, DVD, and digital copy combo. Worth checking out. See you next week.
You'll be a hit with all the neighborhood kids.